Hello and welcome to Bad Music Hurts, the friendly music club podcast where my siblings and I discuss our favorite music. This is episode 15, and today we're talking about Grizzly Bear's third major LP, Shields, from 2012. I'm Mark Bearclift, and on the other end is my brother and world-renowned engineer extraordinaire, Michael Bearclift. Hey, Michael. <laughs> How's it going? I don't know about the world-renowned part, but engineer for sure. But but yeah, glad to be here. It's uh, It's been a while. And we've been trying to get this one going for a while, too. We've been kicking the can on this for a while, but I'm actually kind of happy we did because... Um, It's given me an opportunity to not just listen to it uh, once through in preparation for the show like I typically kind of do, but like I I think I've listened to this thing a total of three times before now, uh, like with the anticipation that we're going to be talking about it on the show. So um, it's given me an opportunity to really kind of flesh out and solidify my feelings on it and particular things about the record that I really like and um, also, unfortunately, the things that I really don't like. So um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad that we've had a while to kind of ruminate and stew on this one. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, uh, I unfortunately procrastinated quite a bit. There was a lot going on, and that's kind of why we delayed a whole bunch of holidays and everything going on. Uh, so once... Once it's the kind of this weekend turned around, I did listen to it a couple of times. I listened to a couple of the other albums as well to try to gain context again, back to the band and kind of their sound. Shields, I would say, has been the one I've listened to the most uh, of them. But uh, yeah, I did enjoy uh, kind of last minute cramming my <laughs> my listening. But it was fun last night and uh, middle of the day today to kind of revisit this because I kind of knew in my head it, postponing it i kind of was already formulating my thoughts just was nice to listen to it again and kind of dive into it and kind of solidify some stuff so let's actually kind of circle back to that you mentioned before that shields has been one of the ones that's been on your mind just for a while in terms of like grizzly bears releases like what what's your personal background with shields and grizzly bear as a whole because i i know my my personal history with them and i i think i introduced them to you but like I'm not really sure on the other side of the fence, like what your perspective uh, up to this point with the band is and, you know, what your initial thoughts on Shields were and all that. Yeah. So, yeah, I got the band sent to me by you. I can't remember which came first, if it was Yellow House or Shields, to be honest. You remember which one you sent first? No, I remember discovering Yellow House and liking Yellow House first, but whether or not I bought Yellow House or Shields first and even which one, whichever one I shared with you first, I'm not entirely sure, unfortunately. Yeah. So I would say my memory, Shields stands out the most. I remember listening to both, but Shields was the one I always came back to. So this is around later high school, early college years. The album has a very, I guess, kind of late fall, early winter feel to it. And that's kind of how I remember initially listening to it as well. It was around like, I think Thanksgiving, I really started listening to it a lot the year that we found them. That's fascinating to me, actually, because I, I have the exact opposite feeling in terms of like what kind of season I associate to to Shields. For Shields, for me, it's more of like spring, maybe like uh, peak summer days sort of feeling. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I'm the exact opposite. I associate it strongly with around like hunting season, fall, winter those sort of times it's that's just when i listen to it a lot um and that's just what my memory kind of calls back to when i think about this album but i guess in terms of like i think you asked about first thoughts as well right for me listening back to yellow house and shields 
in my opinion, Shields is where I think Grizzly Bear does it right. I think their formula works the best. And I also think this is where they get their most, I think, mass market appeal. I think this is like the best curated album they have. Uh, the best pacing. Listening back to Yellow House in this compared, it kind of reinforced kind of why I didn't listen to Yellow House a whole bunch and gravitated more towards Shields. I always am brought back to it because I always think about the instrumentals first and the lyrics kind of come second. That's what always what draws me to albums and the instrumentals of Shields always kept me going back. And those instrumentals is kind of where I get that sense of of season. It just kind of has the always kind of an underbelly of just melancholy kind of just it, it kind of has a sad feeling to it i guess to put it quite simply mm-hmm. yeah i i agree oh man i i agree with a lot of the things you said and then some i i can't quite agree with so it's it's interesting where I, where we differ on this uh, i would definitely agree that this is by far their most accessible and commercial record to date. And I do not mean that in like a derogatory way or like a dismissive way. I, I think it is a tremendously fantastic record and is as good as it is because of how approachable the songs on here or the majority of songs are on here where it manages to meld that that core grizzly bear energy that's very uh, hard to grasp and is more like ethereal in like its purest form in Yellow House and was somewhat uh, wrangled a little bit on Vecatimus, but I think is really given a more uh, approachable delivery vessel on shields. And I think to its benefit, um, I'll, we'll get to this later, but I think like, for example, yet again, is Grizzly Bear's best single. It could be, uh, you could hear maybe in a bar somewhere or like even while you're shopping or like just on the radio, wherever you're driving and it, it can meld perfectly in with other hits of that time or even like today, I would say but still has that core Grizzly Bear energy, whereas other bands, when they get more uh, approachable, sometimes lose what made them special in the first place. And I don't get that at all here. It still is Grizzly Bear, but uh, the uh, yeah, as I said, like the delivery vessel is just rock solid for this. Um, it's very easy to digest, and there's more there for you to dive into uh, if you want or if you return to yeah. it. So. I 100% agree on what you're saying here that that was one of the notes I had called out here is that it, they stay truthful to what I think are the good things in Yellow House and kind of their foundations. Uh, the vocal harmonies are on point. That, that It still stays true to some of the tonal feel. But I think what they do better here is they start embellishing more of the instrumentals where this is where I think Yellow House really fell flat is ultimately Yellow House wasn't very engaging for me instrumentally a lot of the songs were very kind of doldrum and it just for lack of a better word some of them i described as insufferable adrosness where it just was it it got to be too much of kind of the i, I labeled it as almost borderline mumble folk or mumble uh psychedelic rock where you couldn't even really hear what they were saying and i i just thought the mixing and production was bad but there was something there, the vocal duality between Drost and Rosen and the vocal harmonies and kind of the psychedelic kind of tonal feel of it. Like there was something of intrigue there, such as with the songs of like Knife in um, in Yellow House, as well as Easier, where you kind of have this like the beginning Easier kind of has this uneasy feeling to it, but it, it kind of grabs you. But then I don't think they really carry that energy through. Whereas then Shields, they lean more into the instrumentals, they actually start driving more, 
get better mixing and production. And I think that ends up really working well for them. Mm-hmm. So I, this is where I disagree with you, uh, I think, most strongly, where I, I think you're saying instrumentals, and maybe that is what you mean. But um, to me, I think what Shields does so well is the songs themselves are are songy songs. They're very mm-hmm. easy to follow along with. They follow, like, for the most part, very known, accessible structures where it's like the verse chorus mm-hmm. verse chorus a bridge maybe and then you know maybe the chorus again um and call it a day um so it's very easy they they flow naturally um they finish naturally whereas uh to your point yeah yellow house is very ethereal very loose it's hard to it's hard to sink your teeth into if you're um new to that and even if you're not new to songs of that nature it is um it takes many listens to really fully digest Yellow House, because the songs in them are very obtuse. The lyrics are almost non-existent to your point. It's hard to even hear what they're saying the most of the time. Um, I think that's intentional. I, I don't think they were wanted the lyrics to be the focal point of uh, Yellow House. Yellow House definitely was more uh, instrumentals. In fact, too much instrumentals in some cases. They literally just kept layering sounds and music and instruments on top of one another to make these like uber lush soundscapes for these relatively light brittle song structures to be laid over top so like yellow house had almost no songy song structures to them yeah vacatimus changed that um and i think shields did even more so like it was the next logical step to the groundwork that vacatimus laid um so uh, uh, and to me, Shields, it's to the detriment of the instrumentation in many places. In many places, the instrumentals just kind of just vanish. Um, I, a simple answer is the one that comes to mind. There's just some really uh, empty spaces in that song where it's uh, at one point, it's literally just the drums playing a, a kind of dirgy beat to it and you wouldn't see that anywhere at yellow house there was always at least five different other things going on at any given point on yellow house um and even a vacatimist for that regard so i definitely disagree in terms of shields having uh you can definitely say that it maybe has the most refined instrumentation maybe i i could see that being argued but to me the instrumentation here is actually pretty bare in many places uh, particularly the pothole of the record, which I'm sure we'll get into. But um, yeah, so I think I guess what I'm trying to get at is, yes, I agree with everything you're saying. And kind of one of the big comments I hear, have here as well from listening through is um, in what's wrong. I'm like the trumpet. I'm like, where's more of that? Yeah. Give me more of that in this album, because I think that really played well with a lot of their sound, with their primarily their uh, the drums the guitar or the piano like i i liked the addition of the trumpet and what they did and what's wrong after hearing that i'm like where is more of this in this album so i agree with you in terms of the like the lushness and the layering i guess what i'm trying to get at when i say instrumentals i guess i should rephrase it as like instrumentation so it's not confused with an instrumental piece about lyrics like the instrumentation i feel is better driven and directed in shields where i feel like it's headed somewhere i feel like it's driving towards something i it sucks me in uh, i see it's more purposeful yeah and because of that i feel like you can get away with less where before with yellow house yes there's more there but like i never felt like i was really going anywhere so it just kind of felt a lot of a lot of it like it was like plink plunk plunk and then you kind of had to sift around again kind of the just 
the dreariness of some of the mumble delivery of stuff that just like, like I said, one of my notes, once it got to the end of Colorado and Yellow House, my note, biggest note is just, ugh, and I reprised (laughs) for the love of God. Like, it just, I I couldn't, that's where they lose me. The sounds can be there, but it, it wasn't driving me. It wasn't keeping me engaged. It just, like I said, to an extent started to get insufferable where yellow house hits its giant pothole in my opinion with plans and marla where i feel like they almost have to start digging themselves out of a big hole like uh, on on a neck on a spit and then into reprise and i think they should just cut their losses at reprise and end it but and that's another big thing is i think the, the pacing is better done in shields again they drive the instrumentation it sucks you in better and they keep it up like I, uh, there's only a couple songs in here that I labeled as like more yellow housey songs, but they're better fit in with respect to everything else in the album where it carries through. Those serve then as the breaks between the more songy songs, right? The ones that drive better in the instrumentation. And when I say like the ones that yellow labeled as kind of like the yellow housey songs, I have down as uh, the hunt and uh, what's wrong were kind of the two yellow housey songs i kind of put on here and the rest i thought were able to keep up the pace and keep us driving towards where like the album finishes very quickly where i feel like i have to kind of keep myself engaged and like focus myself on yellow house where shields it goes very easy yeah i i 100 percent agree with majority of what you're saying where yes overall i think shields has uh world-class pacing um, my only issue is that there is a a very clear glaring pothole in the record in terms – it's like a black hole of pacing. The, the pacing stops. <laughs> it dies basically and that is the first disc second half and that is um, The Hunt, A Simple Answer and uh, What's Wrong, unfortunately. I think What's Wrong starts to to try to – to revive it i actually do like what's wrong but unfortunately it's just, it's placement is bad <laughs> it's mm. placement is bad it's it's following to uh in my opinion clunkers but um but to your point the second half of this record flies it flies mm-hmm. so fast um i uh, there's other records that i listen to even ones that i really love where once i get to the halfway point it's it's hard to keep my attention all the way through and I, like i'm kind of keeping track of what track i'm on um and kind of counting down the minutes but here it just like it's a blink and it's gone because it's so engaging and so nice it's like when you're binging a show and you look up at the clock it's like where did the last like 8 hours go <laughs> yeah um, not that this is an 8 hour long record but yes i i agree that overall the album flows very well Mm-hmm. even the bookends right yes take how they start the album and how they end the album compared oh, again mwah. compared to so like something like yellow house or easier i think they start the album really well where it's like ooh, this is like new interesting this kind of has a weird psychedelic feel and edge to it like I, it kind of sucks you in it's different it's kind of odd and weird and then by the, again like i said by the end it gets to colorado and i just can't finish it i just stop it as much as I love Yellow House, and I, I'm going to stand for Yellow House over here every time you, you <laughs> knock on it, but I do agree that Colorado is my skip. I tend to uh, either drift away or stop the record entirely when it gets to Colorado. It's it's That one is a slog. But back to like Sleeping Ute, it's just the, the heavy, just precise chord progression that sucks you into that song. And then the more kind of like almost – 
journey epic stylization of sun in your eyes to close out the album like that's how you close out an album (laughs) in my opinion something that you get this cool epic feeling that this builds up into (laughs) i can't not think of this overlaid into like an anime opening of a character it's super dramatic turning their head dramatically into the sun and nothing's (laughs) going to be the same i'm never going back (laughs) it is incredibly dramatic yes It is, exactly. And that's what's great is like it creates this really cool theatrical image in my head and it's very enjoyable. It's a very enjoyable closer. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that as well. The pacing, I think, is very well done and then also gets the bookends done right, in my opinion. Yeah. So at this point, I think we've kind of uh, set the stage for Shields pretty well in terms of um, overall thoughts and feelings on it. So before like kind of, you know, going into the meat of that, uh, I do want to briefly go into my little packaging corner and presentation corner over here. So uh, if you don't <laughs> care for this, uh, you're stuck. But if the listeners want to skip this, please just feel free to go, you know, skip the chapter on this. But I care. So I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite presented records in my collection, period. The packaging on this every single thing in it is thick and heavy it's a thick boy it's a it's damn boy he's thick (laughs) is it like it's almost like the like the big like snapfish books we get with photos you kind of print out is it like that type of thick would you say uh snap oh oh like a photo book um yeah like those actually you know what honestly Yes. Uh like one of those like oh you'd order maybe like a 20 or 25 28 maybe 30 uh, page picture book uh yeah. like there's mm-hmm. many different online providers that will do this for you um it's honestly about as thick as that um this this single lp that i'm holding in my hand it is absolutely massive it actually is it like it's not half an inch but it's way more than a quarter of an inch looking at it now i have trouble getting it into its sleeve it is <laughs> it is a monster um the vinyl itself is a, a 180 gram vinyl and it is some of the heaviest like it is at the heavier side of that it, they're not Dense. skimping on you um <laughs> the cardstock used is super thick like you're not like holding this thing and it sat on one corner and it sags on the other everything's oh, that's super rigid yeah. because it's all like super thick quality materials it's it feels valuable the package feels valuable so it is one of my favorite pressings uh in my entire collection by far because of just how premium everything feels um before going into talking about the design, I, I do want to briefly shout out um, one of my favorite apps of all time. It's it's Albums on iOS. Albums. They recently released a brand new feature that uh, I think it's called like credits or something like that, um, where when you are in your now playing view, your player view, you can kind of swipe to the right and you'll see a really nice table of all different kinds of credits associated to the record. Um, that could be things like design credits, uh, the mixer, the master, uh, oh, interesting. In, uh, players, uh, the, the bandmates themselves or the player themselves. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it's so great. Uh, what makes it even better than just like the liner notes you'll see on like a CD or uh, an LP or just like the metadata of your MP3s is that the, the, they're all linked which is really nice. So I can look here and see the designer, the art direction for this album was headed by uh, Ben Wilkerson Tuesley. I could tap that and I could see that, uh, no joke, this guy has done a lot of my favorite record designs, actually. Um, really? So which ones has he, he done as well? So he has done literally every Grizzly Bear design up to this point. <laughs> like the art direction, he always either is heading or has plays a big part in. So... 
I would say that's a big part in why every grizzly bear record in terms of presentation seems very clear that it is like one of the same. Like, yes, this is a grizzly bear record. It's all him um, kind of leading Even, that even Yellow House? Because yep, I mean, yep. I, could, I, I could definitely see Vecatomist, B-Sides, and Shields all kind of have that sharp edges kind of oil drab painting. They use the spade and club stylization so i could definitely see those as all being the same family yeah and and to be clear he's not like the artist behind the art pieces for vecat mist and shields uh shields that's actually um an art piece called blue club by uh richard debencorn uh debencorn i'm pretty sure i'm saying that incorrectly but i'm trying my best um and uh that's that's like a, an art piece that existed for a while and i would, I, I think actually same with uh the art pieces for vecat mist Mm, um, but okay. he's the one that kind of leads the direction, I'd assume, of like choosing those art pieces, uh, right. like what to okay. uh, accentuate. Um, but all, also, he has done Crack Up, Fleet Foxes. He was the art direction behind that. So that's pretty exciting. So he's been around. He's done some pretty good work in the past. So it's um, kind of nice to see another work of his. I think the art direction on Shields is as good as it is because he's the one leading it. He's I, I like his work a lot. And then I'm going to dive into a bit of like the mixering and mastering, you know, continuing down on albums credits web here. The mixer uh, or mixers, I'm sorry, uh, Michael H. Brar and uh, Ryan Gilligan, uh, they have mixed a lot of Coldplay's stuff like Coldplay's X and Y they oh. both did. Um, Milo Zalado and um, Michael actually did, of all things, he was the mixer behind uh, Young the Giants debut self-titled, which is pretty exciting. Uh, so, you know, kind of a an all-star cast here um and in fact the uh master uh bob ludwig yeah ludwig uh again apologies for the pronunciations here but uh his mastering work he also like he's done a lot of coplay ones viva la vida death and all his friends he's also done get this uh, the last bison's inheritance he was the master on that get uh, out. rainbows uh or radio heads and rainbows um Mumford and son sign no more and then one of my favorite records in 2020 phoebe bridger's um punisher he was the master on that too so like really an all-star cast here i'd say that all these folks here based on their previous work which i also really really enjoy the way these other things sound i think that's part and parcel why shield sounds as good as it is like we have a lot of great hands here working on this and of course, uh, Chris of Grizzly Bear himself is the one that is the producer of the record as usual. So um, mm-hmm. that's really fascinating. Yeah, no, definitely. I So shout out to albums again for uh, one hell of a feature. It's a, it's a lot of fun to explore around. So before we go into the song by song breakdown, I do have one quick thing, one last thing that I want to mention, and that's kind of like. I, I guess my Syracuse style opening statement <laughs> of what is this like 20 minutes in 40 minutes into our recording <laughs> yeah. where I have my opening statement. Um, but just in general, the way that I like to perceive shields, not just by itself, but if, with regards to grizzly bear as a band and it's overall place in the discography. So um, if you look on like, let's say Wikipedia, you read a bunch of blurbs from the bandmates themselves talking about how going into this, recording for this record and writing for this record that they were like mentally emotionally physically drained they were exhausted from their vacatimist tour they really do not sound into it um like music <laughs> as a whole anymore like they it sounds like they just need it's a, a job really long vacation <laughs> they do not sound happy in those blurbs now granted like i'm sure like most musicians post tour aren't necessarily in the best state of minds but um that kind of just keep that in the back of your mind that they're they're drained they are not at their peak energy capacity at the moment. Um, 
going into from a tonal perspective, from like a analytical perspective, Vacatimist deals a lot with relationships, as does Shields of romantic relationships. And uh, Vacatimist has this naivete to it, this optimism, this like, we can make it work, uh, this can do inness to it, um, wanting the relationships to work. And Vacatimist, it's rife with with problems. Uh, that's kind of Grizzly Bear's forte. They love writing about things that are going bad. <laughs> You're yeah. not going to hear a Grizzly Bear song and have it be like, wow, this relationship's going going great. <laughs> that's, your, that's not what Grizzly Bear does. But Vacatimist, it's from the framing of like, maybe it's someone's first relationship. They're wanting it to work. They're uh, maybe to a fault. Uh, maybe it's abusive, but they're they're trying. And they uh, it's, it's really... That's like the core to it. And it's this fear that it's not going to work out. They de- there's a desperateness to Vacatimist to have this relationship last. And and it comes to a head in Vacatimist in um, the penultimate track where it's just like, we tried, we'll do what we can, you, you'll do what you can. Like, um, you brought us this far, we'll do what we can to make this last. Like that sort of mentality to it. Then going into this, it, it's like the emotions are dead. Most of the songs here are, again, relating to relationships and not great <laughs> relationships. It's not going well. But it, this, it almost feels like a natural progression of the the problems that were kind of explored in uh, relationships in um, Vacatimist, where at its natural conclusion, this is what's going to happen, where it's just there's this sort of dead space. The, the characters explored here, they're tired, they're aged, and they just don't care anymore. Or worse, they're like, a nervous wreck, almost like a PTSD over these relationships. And like uh, for Gunshy, it's it's damn near abusive, emotionally abusive. The idea is explored there. So uh, it's very easy to kind of see the through line here between like Vecatimist and Shields, where Shields has this maturity to it and it's not a good thing. It's a purgatory. It's, it's, uh, it's a really sad state of affairs there. So you're talking before I think about that um, Yellow House is kind of doldrum. I actually think Shields emotionally is kind of doldrum because there's nothing happening here. These relationships are a facade at this point uh, being explored here. And I think that's in part, as I mentioned before, due to the touring here. I think a lot of the lines here, even explicit lyrics here, could be, you know, with the framing of that they were not really, really in a great state of mind looking at this like, man, they... They're really kind of done with this, aren't they? Or they really just want a break. Um, and I, I can't help but hear that ending line for the last track, uh, So Bright, So Long, I'm Never Coming Back, and been like, was the intention that this was going to be potentially their last release, like their last official yeah, release okay. here? Because there was a long gap between this and Painted Ruins, like years and years and years. Um, like what, this was released in uh, uh, 2012? And a Painted Ruins was like, what, t- 2019, 18 maybe? Uh, like way later. So I think it's reasonable to think that this could have been the last release, given how long a break they had. And with such sentiment as that, um, so bright, so long, I'm never coming back. And all these these feelings of like, uh, the relationship is dead and just wanting it to end already. Let me be free, um, kind of expressed throughout this entire record. I can't help but look at it through that framing. But then also it still works in the context of previous releases and the songs themselves, where it feels like this is the natural conclusion of the ideas explored in Vecatimist. So mm-hmm. um, from both a meta and a literal perspective, I think Shields works amazingly 
when viewed in context of Vecatimist and, of course, the band itself. So uh, I truly love how well Shields does uh, with regards to how relevant it is in both regards there. No, it's very interesting. I that's that's a very good point. I did catch on some lines here. Again, I didn't do too much reading into the backstory of the band, but I did catch some lyrics here that did kind of give the sense of kind of what you're saying and sense of a exhaustion or just kind of yeah, just like I don't care anymore. Like some of the lyrics, like in speaking rounds, like step down, just once learn how to be alone, and mm-hmm. and a couple of other lyrics I caught through uh, throughout that where it just you kind of get the sense that it's you're just kind of done or you're kind of fed up with it. Uh, I bet like, it's kind of like, I got just get the sense of maybe like cutting one's losses in a relationship <laughs> where it's, I, I feel like that probably hits with a lot of people in COVID right now where it's kind of like, well, do I be alone or do I go through this because the alternative is, is worse. Like, cause I, I can't imagine with, lockdowns and quarantines the whole dating scene is awful right now but um yeah i just i i I did catch that 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 feeling that emotional kind of defeatedness or exhaustion of kind of giving up and i think that kind of plays into why i think this is kind of more of a fall early winter feel to it because it does kind of have that emotional feeling like you don't get a lot of the warm fuzzies i guess from this album it kind of leaves you still a little bit more on the sad side i think yeah even though the instrumentals i think are engaging and keep keep it upbeat in a sense so at this point i'm ready to go i need to start talking about individual songs here so before before we jump to that i got like one last call out for the album as a whole i want to talk about or for the band as a whole i think one of the things that works really well here is the vocal duality of dan and ed Oh, as yeah. the primary vocalists, they are great, great, great compliments to each other. They have songs in this album that are both Dan led and Ed led, and then they have songs where they alternate or switch between the two in the same song. And it wasn't until you had pointed it out to me that I recognized that these there were two singers here. I honestly, when I first was listening to this album, like way, way back when you sent it to me, I thought it was the same singer, and I think that works really well it's not jarring where you're switching to another singer and it's completely different it's like oh we're over here kind of like on like real estate where they have that one what's his face song in every album yes. where it's like oh here's this guy again it's like, this guy again <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so it's it, it blends very well where it's very easy for me to see is like dan is kind of the singer say regular voice and then maybe when it's something more emotional or sad and melancholy they he kind of hams it up and turns it into ed voice like that's it's kind of where i like i could definitely see this had been one person and i think that really works well because i think that really provides compliments to each other and the harmonies they have in this album where a lot of it kind of builds kind of like a a classic Crosby, Stills, and Nash where they build up to a nice vocal harmony conclusion. Like they have moments in this record uh, that kind of harken back to that. And I think that works well because Dan and Ed, I think have voices are great compliments to each other. They don't collide. They meld very well. I'm very glad you brought up the dream team between uh, Daniel and Ed because I think it goes even beyond. uh, And I agree uh, that like from a 
singing perspective, they complement each other extraordinarily well. Um, and, uh, and to your point, like I didn't even realize at first for Yellow House, I did realize for Shields that there were different singers, but I didn't realize for Yellow House that there mm-hmm. was two different people. Like it, I, it, it sounded very much of the same, just kind of different inflections to me. And uh, to me, that was a good thing because it made it, the songs feel cohesive as opposed to, I'm glad you brought it up, the, the real estate one where it's always like, oh, <laughs> And now for something completely different. This guy. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> Nothing the, against this guy. The token song. Yes, the token, the token song. <laughs> yes. You don't get this here. It's very natural having these two swap back and forth. It's very McCartney-Lennon in terms of that. It's um, They work very well together. Um, but um, deeper than that, I think even, just the songwriting styles of both of them is so different. And uh, as you mentioned, there, there's like Ed-centric songs and Daniel-centric songs. Um, and then there's ones where they kind of both really work together or kind of pass it back and forth between them where you can kind of notice almost the distinct sections between. I feel like Daniel led this part or Ed led this part. And I think the duality between them on the songwriting perspective is what makes just not only Shields as great as it is, but just Grizzly Bear's work as a whole as great as it is because you get such great variety. You get the, the thrilling elation of Daniel strumming where there's very brisk guitar work going on for his stuff a lot of the time uh his work almost it sounds happy but then when you listen to the actual material of the songs it's it tends to be very grim so you almost get like this kind of chaotic energy to it whereas ed you do get more subdued more somber notes generally but that kind of works well together it's like a salty sweet combination where you have the more laid back kind of seeping molasses of ed's work combined with like the pop rocks that is Daniel's uh, side of the stuff. So like the two combined really, really work well together in a way that you want. It's like a a sour and sweet or um, a salty sweet. It's it's great. Yeah, I 100% agree. That's that's a good point on the duality, too, in terms of even the songwriting. I agree. It's it's a good combination. And I think that's what kind of makes the pacing work well in this album is you do have the Adelmas, you do have the hunts, the what's wrong to kind of break things up from kind of more of, I guess, the kind of sleeping newts of the album where you're having more like you're describing the brisk, like crisp chords that can kind of progress and it's kind of a little bit more Dan-centric writing. So speaking of Dan-centric, though, we we got to talk about the opener. Dan always leads the openers for these things, uh, it seems like. So, yep, yeah, this is no exception. Sleeping Ute, uh, Daniel Rosin all the way through and... Boy, howdy. What a great opener. Uh, I oh, think yeah. this is the one that really made me realize that I liked Grizzly Bear's work and I really wanted to pursue this because I remember listening to Yellow House and being like puzzled by it. Not not confused by it necessarily, more more perplexed. Uh, I, I guess that's all kind of the same thing. But the confusion isn't meant to be framed in a negative way. It's more of... um that I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it, really. It was kind of like a, a 4D object, or I was playing it through it in my head, these these sounds and being like, I, I can't quite make ends of this. Like, I think I, I think I like this, but I can't quite understand this. I can't really wrap my hand around it. But uh, Sleeping Ute, it's very grippable. You can, you can hold on to this melody, and it'll carry you all the way through, and it's 
driving and thriving and there's so much going on here and i i gotta talk about the drums too there's reversed drums on this and they also apply like some kind of compression to them as well um uh, different uh than like the rest of the instruments going on at that time and it's almost like the guitars or the drums rather are like inhaling sharply where um yes uh, uh, and then exploding in uh, all of our kinds of places it's almost like fireworks of drums it's insane these wandering dreams of the north road dressed Speaking of fireworks, I think there's an actual firecracker sample that I just throw in the background. Of I really hope you're. I really hope that's true. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, I didn't pick it out if there is one, but I wouldn't doubt it. There's a lot of really cool things going on with the guitar, or I keep saying guitars. A lot of really cool things going on with the drums in this. Yes, it, it does sound like. Now you bring it back it, it, towards the end. It does sound like they kind of reverse, and the drums are inhaling. Right, it, whether mm-hmm. it be they just take the sample and just play it backwards, or it's just clever drumming where you just kind of do what you do, kind of in reverse and reverse the tempo up. It's like a sharp inhale. To your point, mm-hmm. um, that's actually a really good point, and that's one of the notes I had. Is I love how the song kind of keeps going very heavy throughout and then strips back for a nice instrumental close. Oh yeah. Um, it's so good at the end. And, and again, like I said, I listened, I jumped in preparation from this, from yellow house straight to this. Ooh. <laughs> so a lot of my first comments reflect that where it's what a way to start an album. I can hear the lyrics. I agree there. I can <laughs> and, agree there. <laughs> and just like kind of a breath of fresh air. Like it's just, it sucks you in right away it's there's it's almost you still have some directed music chaos kind of going on in the background here there's a lot going on uh like for example the firecracker sample that i think i'm convinced i i'm gonna try to find the timestamp and and show you that i i do believe they just literally threw in a firecracker sample (laughs) into this but um yeah i really liked uh just the feeling of this song entering you into the album it's just it's just the really it's the simplistic comments I have on it is just was a breath of fresh air. And I think an ideal of what I think Grizzly Bear is capable of and what I think I would love to see more of is yeah. stuff like this. A hundred percent agree. It's a classic Grizzly Bear tune at this point, I would say, where it's up there with On a Neck on a Spit, up there with uh, Southern Point, mm-hmm. um, all that good stuff. And um Something I do want to note here is this is actually a very unique song in the lineup. There's not many songs on the record that's like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Tonally uh, and instrumentally, it's very uh, unique. I think the one that's most similar to it is probably yet again. It's probably the most comparable, I would say. Yes, maybe. But um, from this point on, I feel like the record as a whole sort of dampens itself down a little bit. There's loud songs after this, like yet again does have like a, a really good driving rhythm and uh, song structure to it. But I, th- I don't feel things really open back uh, or it opens up, but it's bare. I feel like things start to settle back down and you're stuck in this long 
empty void and there's things that happen there but it doesn't quite reach that elation again until the end of the record and I, I feel that's purposeful where the material in the songs start getting into like I need to learn how to be alone and the exhaustion and defeat with regards to the relationships being uh, or situations even in some cases just being discussed on the tracks following this I feel like along with that subject change the instrumentation and the soundscape kind of dwindles back down and being into being more of a, a purposeful, as you mentioned before, but like bare sort of set. And then it uh, uh, explodes back into color and life again at the very end. And I feel that's purposeful where the, when that subject matter changes, it kind of accompanies this tonal change instrumentally. I don't know if you see this at all or if I'm talking on my butt here. <laughs> no, no, I... I agree to an extent in terms of the variety of, like, we don't have the mix of directed music chaos that Sleeping Ute has throughout the album, to your point. Like, it's, nothing's quite as, like, bombastic as it, I would say. But I would say, speaking rounds yet again, I think those kind of carry that energy. But I agree that it does dwindle. We do kind of get a, a little bit more of kind of a, a downturn that spikes back up with sun in your eyes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good description about like the directed chaos um, mm -hmm. where there is a lot of stuff happening. It's not like it suddenly gets boring. There's a lot of good embellishments there in speaking rounds and like yet again, but um, uh, yeah, it, the, that chaos doesn't return until the end. So mm -hmm. yeah, good point. Yeah. And something I actually do like, and I, I'm going to kind of hopscotch around here, but kind of back to the end, because we were talking about the bookends and kind of how the flow of the album goes. What I like is that before just jumping right into and almost doing a repeat of Sleeping You, Sun in Your Eyes starts as very intimate. Like, I don't know what they're doing necessarily with the mixing. They got the sampling of kind of a piano bench and kind of the, um, the wooden cover of the piano to start you really feel like you're there with sun in your eyes. And then it builds up to that big bombastic finish. And I think that's that's the way to do it. It's not jarring. It's not like you're getting whiplash after Halfgate or Gunshy. Like it's leading you into it. And I think that's what's important is that while we do kind of have that decrease, it's not like a discontinuous jump. It, it, it's now you're smoothing back into it. Yeah, I 100% agree. So the next track, uh, Speaking Rounds, I love the driving beat here. Lots of energy. And the, what my favorite part, I think, in the entire track is those flute embellishments that whiz by. Like you're you're looking out the window and you just see these people like flutes as they're flying right past. It, it's so great to hear. Um, it almost feels like you're flying at some points. Um, but again, not with as much chaos energy as um, the sleep, uh, sleeping Ute had. It's 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 slightly more uh, controlled and um, purposeful than than that. Uh, so this is the sort of start of that. But um, yeah, speaking rounds is one of my favorite tracks on here with, because of those flute embellishments and how um, how driving the song is.
Yes, I agree. Like I said, the, the three to start the album that I love, Sleeping Ute, Speaking Rounds, yet again. I want more of those in this album, to be 100% honest. Yes. What's, what's sad to see is I was... So I was on um, Genius for looking through the lyrics, and it's actually really cool because Ed and Dan actually have verified comments on some of the songs where they talk about some of them in the lyrics. Because um, I know in Genius, you can highlight it, and anyone can comment and everything like that. So it was interesting, but yet again, that made me really sad that there wasn't more of this, is he said that Chris Bear and I went to Mexico for a month. It was in Baja. This cute little cheap place. There was no one else around, no cell reception. We were focused on doing stuff. We wrote 10 songs and we were stoked. Then we brought it to the other two guys and they were like, we're not understanding what you're going for here. This isn't really our vibe. We were deflated. The only song from Mexico Sessions that made it was yet again. So I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, give me more of that. Like, that's. What I think this again, those are the songs where I think they really shine. Like I wanted to know what what else comes from those sessions they had down in Mexico during that trip. Like I, I'm curious to know now is if if yet again came from the batch and that's the one to survive, like what else was left in there that was on the cut like chopping block for this album. So I mean, I'm pretty sure that's all or majority of it is available on that Shields uh B side release i'm pretty sure that's where all of that met its public uh release though of course in some reduced capacity because i'm sure it wasn't like re-recorded i think it's mostly the demos that they had i, I could be wrong i don't actually listen to I, I haven't actually listened to shields b-sides uh frankly but like smothering green or uh yeah smothering green taken down listen and wait uh i'm, I'm pretty sure those were all from that that session that they had have you listened to Shields B-Sides? I have not, no. I would have to give it a re-listen. And I could be 100% wrong. Maybe the rest of the <laughs> ones from the sessions really weren't <laughs> worthy of going on Shields. But I, I like to be hopeful that there's more yet agains in there or something similar to the energy of the song. I'm gonna I'm gonna need a follow up on this then. I'm I'm gonna be curious. I'm curious what your thoughts are then uh, on on your homework then. I guess yes. is that stuff any good? To find out. Um, <laughs> I will yeah. give my candid opinion. <laughs> so I, I I got I gotta I gotta talk about the pothole of the record. I I truly dislike the hunt. I think it is the worst track that Grizzly Bear has ever done. I, yes, even worse than Colorado. Uh, I will say it. The hunt, I don't buy The hunt that, is a no. dirge. I cannot stand the I, hunt. So here, here's here's my reasoning. I said the hunt in my notes are it's it's a more traditional yellow housey vibe song. No. And I said I think this vibe now fits into this album because it's surrounded by other strong pillars that it makes some of that more yellow housey vibe tolerable. <laughs> so. <laughs> Like, I thought it fit well because, again, it breaks up the pacing. So I viewed it as harmless and in service of the pacing where it just kind of like I listened to it. It was certainly no plans. It was certainly no Marla. And it was certainly no Colorado in my mind. I thought the execution was better done. And, of course, the production was better done. Um, so I, I think you're doing un undue judgment onto the hunt because I think it's it's serving a purpose, and I think it does better than what similar songs in Yellow House had done before. Leave me with no 
I disagree so hard because you're right. It breaks up the pacing. That's the reason I hate it. It, it, There's so much momentum going into this. And usually when um, uh, you have quieter or um, more laid back tunes in a track list, it is kind of hard to keep that momentum going, but great records still do it for those songs where it naturally flows back down and it segues back up into a next peak. But uh, th- this isn't a nice steady curve. This is a pit. <laughs> and where I would agree that it is kind of like those uh, dirges from Yellow House, let's say like Colorado, like Marla, uh, I would say to Yellow House's betterment, there's other things going on in the track, so even though the song itself isn't spectacular, there's things there to keep you interested. That you can you can kind of poke around in the bed of instrumentation for something to keep your mind on. But for the hunt, it's it's just the track, and that is kind of Shield's thing, where it is more focused on the songwriting, the songs themselves, and less of gratuitous instrumentation, like in Yellow House and even most of uh, Vecatimist, I would say. But when when you have a song like Colorado and you take away the lush instrumentation, what's left? There's nothing there. It's so bad. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see that. I think though it's elevated by its proximity to other good things and i didn't view it as disrupting the pace as much as i think you did Mm. i think because the other three songs were so energetic that it's good to have a little bit of air and a little bit of time to just breathe before you kind of continue through i do agree that a slower song was needed at this point but uh, we needed a better one than this Uh, agree to disagree i think this one (laughs) like i said because in my mind what sets it above is i i couldn't ever get past the more traditional yes even if they had the lush instrumentations the doldrum just mumble blah of the vocal delivery where it's like do you even care like just distracted me so much from everything else that like i didn't care enough to pay attention to the instrumentation where it served as a, as a distraction where now at least i can hear the lyrics where it's like okay this is just more of a stripped back song i can take this that's fair if, if you don't really like the vocal deliveries of yellow house overall then uh marla and like colorado are, are really not going to be doing yeah, it yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't i don't like that type of stylization it just doesn't do it for me it feels lazy it feels like you're you're hiding something that maybe isn't that great say lyrics with just covering it up with poor mixing and production labeling it as artsy i don't oh i didn't realize I we were talking about painted bruins all right so not painted ruins uh i'm, I'm, I'm kidding it was oh, that was right. a bad joke poking fun at painted ruins <laughs> which i have problems with I, I don't think painted ruins is very good i like painted ruins but it has many many problems um yeah. but yes no i i'm sorry for interrupting for my lame joke i i do i do agree if that that is a problem point for disliking that vocal delivery vocal deliveries are a hard thing to get over um a case in point phoenix's uh tmo or whatever yes. the hell that release is called yeah um, it's exactly i can't like Ultimately, a song in my mind like, has to initially engage auditory senses. And then like the lyrics naturally come second. Like for me, it's never lyrics first. It's always auditory. And so if there's something jarring like that where it's like I can't get past it, it's very hard for me then to start enjoying the rest of the stuff where in Yellow House, it was the vocal deliveries that 
caught me in terms of how it listens that distracted me from listening to the other instrumentations, the other auditory experience. Whereas at least the hunt, in my mind, it's it's not to your point amazing. It's no it's not any of the other songs previous in this record, but it does no like tangible harm. <laughs> so it's kind of like a wash in my mind. It just kind of just, I think it's fine. I think it gives us a nice break. It doesn't <laughs> insult my ears of some mumble mumble jumble. <laughs> it, it, it keeps us going. I I think all things said and told, it's I I, I don't I I don't have an issue for it. it. It's not a long one. I mean, there are some longer songs. It's only three forty five. Um, could it have been more of an Eldelma at like a minute? Okay, maybe. But at least, hey, at least it wasn't a seven-minute song in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To your point, it's uh, Colorado had no business being as long as it was. So at the very <laughs> least, we're spared that. We're spared a <laughs> ten-minute. I'm just length glad we hunt. can agree on that. I'm just yes. glad oh. we at least agree on that. Yeah, I, I, I can't sign off on Colorado's song length. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, uh, a simple answer is kind of interesting to me because I, I don't like it. But it's it's perplexing. It is a slog. It's a dirge, but it's got a little hop in it. <laughs> no, it, I, I think what works with this song, that I, actually, I actually really like this one. What works for me here is, again, I think to your point, like instrumentally, it doesn't do anything like crazy. It's kind of to your point, kind of like, OK, not a whole lot there. But it shines in the vocal duality really shines in this song is I really love how Dan and Ed play off each other when it comes to the chorus. And ultimately, I do like the lyrics in this one, where they kind of poke fun at cynical viewpoints and kind of show how it kind of breaks down on its own extremist weight. Like if someone is just a cynic about everything. So it's like, okay, there's no wrong or right. Like, just do whatever you like, I guess. Like, it. I don't know. I, I like the lyrics. I like the vocal duality between the two. I think the song shines in that respect. And this one I like. I, I, I I think it makes up for, say, what it doesn't do instrumentally for, I think, what it makes up for vocally between the two driving through the chorus. vocals don't really do anything for me on this personally but um i as i said before like i find it intriguing and i think the reason i don't outright dislike this one is because it follows the hunt and i think literally anything could have followed the hunt and i would have liked it because it was not the hunt um <laughs> so uh i guess point credit to you a simple answer i don't hate you because you follow the hunt um so that's a ringing endorsement there um but uh, thankfully, I actually do quite like What's Wrong. It is a slower I do song again, but we finally have some meat on the bones here for instrumentation because it's been really bare mm -hmm. for Hunt and Simple Answer. So we, we get something here, which is nice. They got like these little finger symbols going on uh, throughout the entire track, which is, is really nice. It kind of gives it a little um, tinny heartbeat throughout the song, which is, is pretty nice. And um, I almost feel like this is something that could play in a, a really bougie smoky downtown mm -hmm. cafe uh in the dead of night like you know that sort of that sort of vibe is going on here and it's um i i have always kind of quite liked this one because of that 
I want more trumpet, Mark. I do want more trumpet too. Yes. You made it clear earlier in this podcast. It's (laughs) like, I heard this in this song. I'm like, did like a face plant. I'm like, where was this? Why are you only doing like literally a 30 second take of the trumpet? And it's like, okay, we're going to shove that in the corner and never touch that again. Like there's so much potential there. I think it works really well with their sound. So trumpet can cover a wide range of feelings and tones. It could be kind of more drawn out notes. It could be crisper. It can be jazzier. It can be snappier. It could fit more perhaps like a sleeping mute. It could also fit these longer, more kind of somber songs, the more quieter songs. It's like, where? Give me more. Yeah. The cynic in me thinks that's a practicality of uh, the touring economy yeah, for musicians. It, it didn't, I think it was a guest it is. Artists they had come yeah. on. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think Ed and Dan played the trumpet. Which no, is unfortunate. I, I think Chris plays the flutes and things. So that's why you see flutes appear and mm-hmm. like uh, uh, clarinets, I think, um, and a few other instruments. That's why they're so plentiful, generally speaking, in uh, grizzly bear songs. But you don't see instruments like this pop up because, as far as I'm aware, none of the guys play it. So if they had more prominent and frequent features then that means they'd be playing a lot more trumpet samples over the speakers when they're playing live which you know that's always kind of crappy to kind of have something that's clearly oh that's just playing over the speakers and then the guys here are playing something else like you know you do what you, you have to but in general it's not great to have a lot of that and be like well you're you're basically just singing over um a karaoke version of your Mm -hmm. your music um uh, and, and of course, that's the extreme example. I'm not saying that a few trumpet samples here or there would really, you know, contribute greatly to that effect. But I I think that was the mentality there is that like, well, we're not going to have a trumpet player with us, brought, like ranking them around while we're on tour. So we'll have it like maybe in a song, maybe to appear for a few you know seconds where if we can get a, a trumpet player to pop by real quick and play it for like a special one off performance, then, you know, hey, that's great. And then, you know, if we can't, then, it you know, it won't cause much harm. Um, but yeah, I would have loved to see it. I, I agree because I think I love Vacationer, but I don't know if I would do a live performance again. I probably will. I probably would do it. I just think it, they have greater potential to be better live because a lot of Vacationer stuff relies heavily on uh, samples because uh, Kenny is more of a bass player and the band is kind of more of your standard band setup. But they rely on a lot of these samples that kind of come out of nowhere um, especially for, say, relief, where it'd be kind of really interesting to start getting more of you get like a coral reefer band to meet up with Kenny. Uh, like, yeah, Jimmy Buff and the coral reefers to meet up with Kenny because they have more <laughs> of that. You get kind of more of the bongo drums, you get more of the, the, uh, uh, what's it called? The, uh, I am missing, missing the name of the instrument. Steel drum? Uh, yeah, you get steel drum, you get all those other kind of more tropical sounds I think could complement relief well, whereas when they played it live, a lot of it more was just samples to your point. You just kind of play the sample as you're playing. It's like, oh, okay, that's, that's like, kind of sad. And I, I like uh, Vacationer Live, but I see what you're saying. And I feel like for Vacationer, you know what you're getting, um, where it's yeah, sample-driven music um, for the most part, honestly. But for Grizzly Bear, I think, yeah, you don't necessarily go in expecting a lot of samples. You know, you're expecting more of live performances. So, uh, yeah, it's not really conducive to their their aesthetic. Yeah, but I agree. For Gunshy and Halfgate, I'll be honest, I really didn't have 
anything to say on these. Oh. He's just kind of washed over me, and I just was like, all right, get me to the end track, because the end track's awesome. Oh, no, I'm, I need to talk about these. I can't believe this. Hearsay. <laughs> I... <laughs> I love Gunshy. Uh, it's just playing in the pocket of those um, that offbeat throughout the whole song. And uh, as I mentioned before, this is like full blown emotional abuse, where like this person is really uh, having a, a hard time, really wants to get out of this relationship, but they feel emotionally trapped into it. And uh, they even say at one point that their trapper smiles as they struggle. Like, oh man, what? What imagery here? It's mm-hmm. it's honestly kind of grotesque. Um, but the the song itself, it, it almost gives you a bit of anxiety how much it's it's playing in that uh, that the off beats and um, uh, every once in a while that kind of melancholy uh, guitar comes in with that little riff again, uh, kind of tying all the different pieces together. The sky keeps- With those guitars floating in and out and with the little, I think the little symbols come back again for this, it feels almost like an ethereal thing, like uh, th- th- this trapper is almost like a phantom, a ghoul of some sort. Um, it's uh, It almost works like a, a, a Halloween kind of song in that regard. Um, it, it's just, oh man, it's a, it's a delightful song for me in that regard. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't hate it. <laughs> I like it. It's just like I just didn't really have anything really to say to it because I again that a lot of the lyrics here there wasn't a whole lot that jumped out to me. It was more of a couple of lines or so. Um, some of it I find to be a little bit more cryptic, where you feel like you have to be knowing more of what the songwriters were thinking. It's not as on the surface, say as we're like a Father John Misty. It's like you know what you're getting a Father John Misty. You can talk and dive into the lyrics and chew them over. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like yeah, I'm like. I was like, I didn't really have anything to really say about it. I'm like, that is more I, of Grizzly Bear's MO overall. Like, yeah. A lot of the songwriting is obtuse, um, even in it, their recent stuff. Um, and I, it, let alone Yellow House. Good Lord. Talk about obtuse. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I do like, I do like the lead in though of these two sun in your eyes. Yeah. Um, so there's nothing bad I have to say about them. These I think are in service to the album. They keep it going. I don't think they detract from anything, um, but there are certainly no tent poles in my mind of of the album. To your point, I don't have a lot to say about Halfgate. I really enjoy this one as the penultimate track, um, but I do want to call attention to, um, again, kind of talking about the pacing and the overall structure of the album. Uh, I think this really brings things back home where this goes back to what I was saying before about the Shields having overall good pacing and overall is a very well constructed record because this calls back to the beginning of the record the first like i would say real track of the record in terms of setting the tone is speaking rounds and that and there the question frequently asked and repeated many times is could i be alone could i do this um and then the rest of the record explores feelings of entrapment and um uncertainty and anxiety with regards to relationships and uh when when you feel entrapped trapped by them basically and, and not being able to leave them and is particularly in cases like gunshy where they're abusive and in others where it's just 
neither party is really into it anymore. Um, uh, and that comes back with Half Gate. It actually closes the book on that, where um, Half Gate, they do repeat that mantra. Actually, it's an answer this time. Content to be alone. I'm content to be alone to draw this quiet picture every night just to remind me why I'm here. Like, uh, uh, There's mm-hmm. a resolution there, a resolu- uh, resolution to that question posed where, no, I am content to be alone. Uh, it's time. And I think that that tonal resolution, that arc that's now closed leads into Sun in Your Eyes so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Sun in Your Eyes is that escape. I feel like yes. Sun in Your Eyes that when it journey. begins. Yes, it is exactly. that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sun in Your Eyes is both the end and the beginning of that journey. It's the end of this abusive relationship structure that's been expo- uh, explored throughout this record and the beginning of something new. And it almost feels like they're crawling out of a deep hole, like uh, uh, all this imagery of crawling on the ground, your hands uh grasping at dirt as you're pulling yourself up and you're you're sunburned and you're sweating and but you have like this determination in your eyes the sun's in your eyes and that's when for the first time in the record you get that cacophony that that lush instrumentation that grizzly bear was always Mm -hmm. known so much for and loved in yellow house and vectivist it comes back again and it opens back up it's like the veil has been lifted from the narrator's eyes and they see the world and their life for what it really is and it's full of potential and it's going to be hard and it's going to suck but they have this long never-ending road ahead of them and they have this determination so bright so long i'm never coming back like there's no greater defining solution than like i know what i'm doing so bright so long i'm never coming back which is great especially considering like how much waffling is invectimist because vecatimist as I said before it has this naivete to it with regards to relationships and a lot of the narration in vecatimist is about like oh i don't know i hope i'm doing the right thing i hope i can Mm -hmm. make this work we'll do our best we'll try we can do it and this it's no i'm never coming back as the ending solution here like Mm -hmm. pretty uh pretty damning stuff i like the resolve kind of communicated in this to your point the the goals are very sta- straightforward. It has a nice kind of journey feel to it. Like I said, it feels very epic. It has a nice kind of theatrical imagery associated to it. Just what a way to close the album. I agree. This is a great instrumental callback to kind of the stuff that we had withheld from us after Sleeping Ute, where it's more it's more lush. It's more of that standard, like you're saying, grizzly bear, I guess, full bombastic capability. Just that's how you close an album. Yeah, it is a massive track, too. Um, it takes up the entire last side of the second disc. You flip it over and there's sun in your eyes. It, it That's it. That's the last side is, <laughs> is sun in your eyes. That's it. Um, and it's amazing. I, I remember listening to this with Jay, uh, an old roommate of mine and from my college days. And uh, it was my first time listening to a record on a record player, actually, which is pretty fun. We both just sat in his room and listened to this thing front to back. And I remember him flipping it over. And I I was like, is, is this song taken? <laughs> is that the whole side? <laughs> just one song? So yeah, I remember just being completely blown away by how um, – how uh, the movements in this it builds and falls back and builds and fall back it's like waves almost and uh, yes it's it's the closer to the film it's that that's the only way i can say it it's mm-hmm. it feels cinematic yeah it really is i mean yeah runs a nice brisk seven minutes <laughs> so oh that's all 
Uh, no, yeah, but that's that's the way that's the way end and put wrap up the bow on this album for sure. Yeah. So at this point, I think we've talked this thing to death. All I have to say is like final thoughts overall. I love this record. This is the last great Grizzly Bear record, in my opinion. Painted Bruins uh, doesn't hold a candle to it, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think Shields, Vecatomist, and Yellow House all kind of form this holy trilogy of Grizzly Bear <laughs> records where they all are so great in their own special way. And I like to think Shields overall successfully combines the great ideas explored in Yellow House and Vecatomist, um, where Vecatomist is more um, uh, really brought structure uh, to like structured songwriting to their style. And Yellow House was just just the style. Um, and I think Shields has come the closest that the band has gotten to fully melding them into one cohesive smack, you know? Yeah, I do stand by that. I think this is the, the ideal of a Grizzly Bear album. Like this, if someone wants and is curious to get into Grizzly Bear, I think obviously this is most digestible, this is most accessible. Um, but I also think that this is where I think they get all the elements more or less right and they execute them correctly. To your point, that takes from all the the other two in the trilogy. Um, granted, we talked about some of the downsides to what it doesn't do uh, so well, but I think it takes lessons from those other two albums, kind of smashes it together. And I think overall, though, it does everything um, better. And it's, I, I do think this is kind of the ideal grizzly bear. This is always the one I go back to if I listen to them. I don't, I don't revisit Yellow House. I don't revisit Vecatomist. Um, because with Vecatomist, I can never really get past Dory. So. Oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> but uh, Shields, I view as this is the ideal. I I would agree. I I would say that I think the biggest criticism I have of the record overall, setting aside the the pothole of pacing. I could say that a criticism of this might be that it's um, a jack of all trades, a master of none, where when I really want to dive into lushness and like core grizzly bareness, I don't necessarily seek shields out. I go to Yellow House. When I really want structure, I I still actually don't go to shields. I go to Vecatomist. Um, So it's very rare that I'm in the mood to really kind of hear them together in the way that they are presented on shield. And it's not to say I don't really enjoy the record when I listen to it. I do really enjoy it, but it's just Mm -hmm. because it's in that middling ground, it's that kind of happy medium. I tend to not seek it out because I tend to go towards the extremes when I'm really feeling something grizzly bear. And that's just my own personal style to your point. Like I'm sure there are many people out there that would hear either Vecatomist or uh, Yellow House and be turned off for one way or another. But for Shields, I think uh, they'd have the best chance of coming away happy and satisfied from. And it might be kind of the the gate into their other work as kind of like a stepping stone. Yeah, that's that's actually kind of my problem with Yellow House and Vecatomist is that I, I agree. I think Shields is a little bit more normalized, I think. Or like Vecatomist and Yellow House have these peaks, but it doesn't have the depth where I think Shields has consistency where I agree it misses out some of the more kind of key grizzly berry kind of, I guess, the like the two weeks or the easier central or remote, those kind of songs of grizzly bear it kind of is missing some of those stylizations. But I think it does 
stay true to them, still give you a little taste of that, but it actually has the depth where I don't ever feel like a, there's a point in this album where I'm like struggling to keep it on. And I don't want to walk away where I think that is always my issue with playing Vecatomist and Yellow House is that there's always a certain point in those albums where it's difficult for me to get past certain aspects where it's much easier for me to just pivot to something else. So that's it. Um, that's Shields in a nutshell. Michael, thank you for um, being on with us today. Yeah, no, it was it was good fun. I'm glad to be back here doing this. And yeah, it was fun talking about this. I hadn't visited Grizzly Bear in a very, very long time. So it was fun going back and listening to kind of their discography to prep for this. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. Everything we mentioned in terms of lyrics or external links will be uh, noted in the show notes. If you don't know where the show notes are, you can typically find them in your podcast player of choice, but uh, not all podcast players support show notes, unfortunately. So you can actually find them on our website, badmusichurts.com. That's badmusichurts.com, like the car company hurts or hurts like it hurts me. Either one works. (laughs) And uh, thank you for listening. Until next time. See you later. So replaying The Last of Us Part 2, huh? Yes, yes, and I am enjoying it immensely. Um, I'm flying through it. I am flying through it. I am acutely aware of... I did New Game Plus, um, so Hard Plus, so I got all my upgrades and shit, which I like. Yeah. Ammo, I, I have none, which I don't <laughs> like. I had to... Is that fucking gas station where um, you arrive and then people scripted, like, arrive after you? Um right so it's like first day of seattle in that like wide open like kind of downtowny suburban area before you get to the skyscrapers yeah there's a gas station there and as far as i can tell the wolves do not drop in until after you go into the building and like uh, 30 seconds later that's when they arrive um <laughs> and i remembered getting jumped in my first playthrough because i was at the bench and uh dina was like yo yo on your right what you doing yeah. <laughs> <You're> right there <laughs> Which is really fun because you think like, oh, I'm crafting. This is a safe space. Nah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> People are going to drop on your ass. So that's pretty exciting. But um, so like I had no ammo. So I literally had to craft mines and place mines at the entrances of the building. And like at various points. So I just sat there in the bathroom while I hear, boom, what was that? Spread out. Boom! What was that? We're under attack! And I'm like literally just crouched in the bathroom like, yes. I have no guns, so if you find me, I am dead. But you have to go through approximately four mines to get there. So like, eventually I hear the doom. Like, everything's safe. I just go out there, pick up the remains, and you know carried on so it's been fun that's hilarious yeah no that's good that's good i did when i redid it i didn't do the plus but i may actually do that because that does sound like a lot of fun keeping all your upgrades uh through the replay yeah i will say that now like i am fully upgraded on all the weapons i have right now and the health stuff so 
there's less of an incentive and less of a joy of finding the medicine and finding the tech gears when yeah. you find them. So that's something I noticed. But at the same time, like I need to remind myself, like I kind of already did that. I like just exploring the environment for exploring yeah. sake. So like, and like, I like all my upgrades and shit. like, I don't mm-hmm. want to have to start back all the way from square yeah. one. So, I you know, I, I think it's I a reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I caught some more aspects of the story. I explored more and found new places I, I had missed. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. It was, it was good fun. It was good fun. Plus I always beat Owen with the toy bow and arrow. He never stands a chance. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten there yet. I, I did beat him my first playthrough. I can take losing to the kids, even though it hurts. Yes. I'll take losing <laughs> to the kids. I'm not going to let Owen beat me. I'm not going to let What's-Her-Face's piece of shit score stand. Like, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. No, sir. That can't be. Yeah. On, this, on the second playthrough, too, I, I caught more of the relationship between um, Abby and Lev. And I actually enjoy it a lot more the second time through where the first time through I was still going through the Ellie withdrawal of like, yes, why am I not playing as Ellie anymore? Why no Ellie? (laughs) Yeah. So like I I really enjoyed paying closer attention and catching the details. Like it just goes to show like, why is the game? What was the gamer community so badly triggered? Oh, they're doing a trans character in it. To be 100% honest. I didn't even notice the first time I played through that Lev was trans. It went completely over my head. That was like one of the major <laughs> things. That, that was totally why he it. was ostracized. <laughs> I thought it was that? I thought it was more of just him cutting his hair and it being a tradition thing. I didn't know it was mm. because I, I didn't catch the whole gender thing and the Lily thing my first time through, but it was fun replaying it be like, oh, okay. Like it's there, but it's not like in your face. Like it's very naturally explained and everything like that. Yeah, um, exactly. Like it's not like you meet Lev and, and he's like, "Don't ask me about my tragic backstory." <laughs> like, no, it's it's revealed naturally. He's not like meeting, uh, meeting this girl and then immediately telling her his life yeah. story. Like, no, like it's kind of just picked up when it becomes knowledge that needs to be known. Like, oh shit, like. They're actually hunting us, and I think I know why. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of shit. Yeah. Makes sense. Also, I loved replaying it, going through the mansion place when, at, like, so when you go back to try to find Abby down at the beach, it's like the last encounter of the game. Oh. Um, I had so much fun going through that again, knowing what I was getting into. Ellie, like... <laughs> I had so many exploding arrows, and I just had such a fucking great time just being Ellie Rambo through the place. It, was- it really is. It is the most <laughs> Rambo that Ellie gets the chance to be throughout the entire series, which oh, is it's great. It's so much fun. I love that encounter because it, like, it continues and you progress through the man. Like, it's not just like this one and done, it's like this continual thing. It's yeah, just there's, all this. there's levels to it. You're sneaking yes. into the base and then you're like releasing the clickers and things to sow chaos. And then eventually you're in and then it is more of like a just gauntlet style. Like there's people all around you and it's hard yeah. to sneak. Like eventually you're kind of just going to get caught. And <laughs> the best you could do is just whittle as many guys as you can before you have to go Rambo. Like, yeah, there, there's levels to the approach, which is nice. Oh, I've, it was so much fun because I just... 
the first time through, I had a real struggle getting through that counter. And this time through, I just like played them like a fiddle. It was so much fun. Yeah. Knowing, knowing how far you have to go and like remembering the general layout helps a lot for that. Yeah, it really does. And it's just, it was so much fun just like staying on top of it and just keeping it like one step ahead of them. Um, but it was, it was fun too. Cause like the first, like, I noticed a lot of my replays, like, if I got caught and I wasn't happy with it, I just restarted the encounter. Because I always, like, just, like, had a lot of fun trying to perfect how I wanted to do things in my playstyle. I'm I'm the similar way. I am very restart happy this time where it's like before i was very much like role playing getting the cinematic of it but this time it's like no i want to like min max this like i want to mm-hmm. get this encounter right like that yes. sort of stuff exactly. whereas like that can kind of mess with the flow when you're playing the first time you know exactly yeah but i did that for when you first sneak in and you meet the first like clicker that's chained up and they're like teasing it or whatever i i did that one many times and i finally realized like oh right i have exploding arrows so I'm sitting there, right when I get there, a craft one pop, they're like, what's that? Then and it's like, they all go bye-bye. I'm like, done. <laughs> Exploding arrows are actually amazing. They're amazing. That's, that's one of the things I love about carrying the skill set through. So I can craft so many arrows very quickly, yes. which is nice. So, yeah. oh yeah, no, one of the things I, I started doing was, um, again, going back to like that kind of suburban downtown city area before mm-hmm. the the skyscrapers there was a bookstore that was overrun with clickers and then like a bunch of people just camping a bunch of wolves camping in like what was it the bookstore or whatever across the street or whatever um it's like right before you get to the uh tv station area yeah yeah i know you're talking about and i never the first time i just silently took out all the clickers and then i tried taking out terribly everyone that was camping but then i realized this time like open the door throw a bottle, run, hide, and then they just attacked each other in yep. like this ma- – like all three clickers out of there came running out and everyone's like, ah! Which is <laughs> great. So I'm just sitting there like, yes, good, in my in my hidey hole bathroom while yes. everyone's killing each other. So I have enjoyed discovering ways to take people down that I didn't even realize I could do the first time mm-hmm. around. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I really like how – Again, I, I really liked replaying it because I know what the story beats are. So I was actually really happy to play as Abby again when we did the Switch. Yes. Like, I actually really like a lot of the encounters with Abby. Me too. And I really like how they harken back to like you you get the duality of the experience of Abby running to the emergency room. And it's like those different like the different dreams that she has of going back there. I just I don't know. I, I thought that was always really well done. It was a lot of fun replaying it. and and kind of knowing what to expect so you can concentrate more on the details yeah it's definitely been a a a fun spot the past couple days for me Mm -hmm. 